We here at The Daily Wire have acquired Joe Biden's list of potential running mates. The list was discovered in Biden's basement, wedged between a copy of Goodnight Moon and the manuscript of Biden's upcoming autobiography entitled The Greatest Moments of I Forgot What I Was Talking About. In keeping with Biden's promise that he would have complete integrity in kowtowing to every possible left-wing pressure group, the list only contains the names of female candidates, along with Biden's personal notes ranking the candidates according to intelligence, talent, poise, and the swimsuit competition. Among the candidates is Stacey Abrams, of whom Biden writes, quote, I can only give her a six because her weight really detracts from her desirability, but her sassy charm does call up some pert fantasies, so I won't rule her out, unquote. Next to the listing for Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, Biden, Biden writes, quote, man, that last name really makes me slip into a lot of daydreams. I'll have to sneak up behind her to see if she lives up to the hype. But from what I've seen of her wow figure, I've got to give her an eight, unquote. Senator Elizabeth Warren is next on the list. Biden writes of her, quote, sure, back in the day, she might have been a looker. But what do they expect me to do? Run next to a girl who's old enough to be my grandmother? Also, all that yakety yak, it would make four years in office seem like eight years, which means I couldn't legally run for re-election, unquote. And finally, next to the name of Gretchen Whitmer, <laughs> Biden writes, quote, yowza, va 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 voom, perfect 10, man. Plus, she'd look great smacking one of those riding crops against the leg of her SS uniform. I think this could be the beginning of a beautiful presidency, unquote. Questioned about the list, Dean Bacay of the New York Times said, quote, it can't be sexist. If it were, we would have reported on it. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. So at the very beginning of the Chinese flu pandemic created by Chinese people in China, I told you that crisis reveals personality. This is way, way back in January. I think it was not character. It doesn't reveal character necessarily, which is something you can choose, but it reveals personality, which is who you are. I think we now have to agree that when I said that, I was, as always, giving you tomorrow's news today. The Chinese flu has stripped the facade off just about everyone and left them exposed for exactly who they are. Between Trump's briefings and the Joe Biden sex scandal, the press has been utterly exposed as not only biased to the point of philosophical corruption, but so isolated among its own class and kind that it really has no idea just how biased it is. The lie about Trump recommending you drink Clorox or inject Lysol, the childish gotcha questions that gave us no information at all, really, truly shameful. And of course, the double standard on the coverage of Biden's alleged sex behavior. Uh, remember, whether Tara Reid is telling the truth or not, Me Too, Believe All Women, the outrage against Kavanaugh, we now know all of that was a charade. Trump has shown himself to be a non-tyrannical federalist. This is important. Trump still thinks out loud too much, and he has no reign on his pugilistic hostilities. But by leaving the big decisions to the states, he has done something so shockingly brave and original and pro-American that only our pundit class could have missed it. Obviously, the left missed it because they hate federalism. They want D.C. to run everything. But it shows us something about the right, too. They've been so busy screaming about what they don't like, they forgot to cheer for what is a major 
Trumpian conservative victory. The mayors of New York City and Chicago and the governor of Michigan have revealed themselves to be authoritarian punks and clowns. Pelosi has exposed her hypocrisy and cynicism in trying to use leftist alchemy to turn this crisis into socialism. Joe Biden has been revealed to be a potted plant. And some conservatives have shown themselves to be posturing loudmouths who care more about the sound of their own voices than reacting to life and leadership as it's actually lived, given the facts on the ground. Through it all, when you remove all the noise, those facts haven't changed. Virtually every leader of every kind made the same decision to shut down, which means even if it was the wrong decision, all the loudmouths on both sides would have done exactly the same thing if they had been leaders. And now we all know we have to reopen with caution, always keeping my safety first in order to save the Claven, but we have to reopen with caution. We all know it. Everybody knows that's what has to be done. So since that's going to happen, no matter what, the only question left is, what's our personality, America's, the people's? Are we warriors ready to take risks to bring the country back? Or are we servile wimps who don't deserve our legacy of freedom? Now, we're going to find out. All right, let us talk for just a moment about First Leaf. You're locked away. You got to get that wine. You do not want your wine. Let me reiterate this. You do not want your wine to run out while you're in lockdown. You don't want to have no vinophobia <laughs> where you sit around going, where's my wine? First Leaf is the answer. Here's how you can get incredible wine without leaving the comfort of your home which you won't. Start by taking a quick quiz to assess your wine drinking preferences. This First Leaf will send six expertly picked bottles of wine based on your answers. And it's good wine, too. I've tried it. It is really good. And then First Leaf uses your ratings and feedback to refine your future shipments. So you just give each bottle a thumbs up or thumbs down online, and First Leaf will take care of the rest. And they will narrow it down so they get your taste exactly. First Leaf updates their inventory every month. There's always something new to try. Subscriptions are super flexible. You can choose when and how often you get shipments. And First Leaf has a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So if you receive a, a bottle and you don't like it, First Leaf will cover the cost. Sign up today to get six bottles of wine for only $29.95. That's a great pl price, plus free shipping for a year. Just go to tryfirstleaf.com slash Andrew. That's six bottles of wine for only $29.95 and free shipping for an entire year at Try firstleaf.com slash Andrew. You do not want to run. I can't say this often enough. You do not want to run out of wine. Mailbag later today for all access members. I will be doing an all access show at five. Uh, yeah, five Pacific time, eight Eastern time. Uh, this is the first one. You can only be there if you're an all access member. So subscribe. Um, so there was an interview with uh, on ABC yesterday, David Muir and Donald Trump. And it said just everything. It said everything about the press and not just about the orange man, bad silliness that we can't get enough of. I, you know, it just never ends. But also the sloppy sentimentality that the press plays uh, to hoping to make you afraid. That is what they do. They use sentimentality to make you afraid. But here was what Trump had to say. And it really is a remarkable. It's a remarkable uh, statement that he makes, because if, if you can just Hear, hear what he's saying for a minute instead of hearing it being said by Trump. This is a cut number seven. I'm viewing our great citizens of this country to a certain extent and to a large extent as warriors. They're warriors. We can't keep our country closed. We have to open our country. One day they said we have to close our country. Well, now it's time to open it up. And you know what? The people of our country are warriors. And I'm looking at it. I'm not saying anything is perfect, 
And yes, will some people be affected? Yes. Will some people be affected badly? Yes. But we have to get our country open and we have to get it open soon. Now, if that had been Barack Obama speaking, the press would be in tears at the courage and leadership that he was displaying. You have to open up. We can't stay shut down. We cannot have 30 million people unemployed. It cannot be. We cannot have the engine of democracy, the engine of the economy die. It just can't happen. We have to open up cautiously, carefully, always taking care to save the clave and keep that first in your, it should be the first words in your mouth when you wake up and the last words before you go to sleep, save the Claven. But still, we have to open up, which means we have to be brave. We have to be warriors. We have to do what he's saying. And he's honest about it. He's saying there's a cost. There's going to be a cost. And instead we get this, you know, and remember, remember the point of the shutdown, the point of the shutdown was not to save every human life on earth and in death forever. The point of the shutdown was to make sure the first spike was not so bad that the hospitals were overwhelmed. All the people saying we shouldn't have done it, they didn't know. Nobody knew what was going to happen. Nobody knew what was going to happen. They had to make a decision in the dark. That was the decision that almost everybody made. So we have to assume that we would have made the same decision. Now the hospitals have not been overwhelmed. And suddenly they're saying, well, we can't let anybody die. People are going to die. This is a disease. It's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. But we have to be warriors and we have to open up. And Donald Trump is the leader here and he's doing an excellent job at doing that. So, you know, when we talk about warriors, I'm going to start with this story about a Dallas uh, salon owner. She reopened her business in uh, on April 24th. And this is in Texas. And she was defying a state and county order for non-essential establishments to remain closed because of the pandemic. Right. A judge, she was called up before a judge, they gave her a, a summons and she tore it up. She has definitely been, um, what, what can I call, it? it's been civil dis- disobedience. She's called up before a judge, Judge Eric Moy, and he says to her that you have to apologize. If you apologize and you say that you understood that you, uh, you know, were going against the rule of law, I'll let you go. But if not, you're going to be punished. Here's the judge telling her what she has to do. This is cut four. You now see the error of your ways and understand that the society cannot function where one's own belief in a concept of liberty permits you to flaunt your disdain for the rulings of duly elected officials. That you owe an apology to the elected officials whom you disrespected by flagrantly ignoring and in one case defiling their orders which you now know obviously apply to you, and that you represent to this court that you will today cease operation of your salon. So that's that's the judge telling her the statement she has to make. This, her name is Shelley Luther, uh, who owned the salon. This is her response, cut five. Judge, I would like to say that I have much respect for this court and laws. And that I've never been, been in this position before. And it's not some place that I want to be, but I have to disagree with you, sir, when I, when you say that I'm selfish because feeding my kids is not selfish. I have hairstylists that are going hungry because they'd rather feed their kids. So, sir, if you think the law is more important than kids getting fed, then please go ahead with your decision, but I am not going to shut the salon. They ought to build a statue to her. 
They should build a statue to her. And you know what? I'm not going to come down that hard on the judge. I had a lot of people on Twitter, a lot of conservatives calling him a fascist and all this stuff. No, you know, I understand each person has to fight his corner. The judge's corner is the law. I mean, I've been saying this about Anthony Fauci, people writing me, oh, he's a monster because he's, uh, you know, because he cares too much about human life and not enough about the economy and he's being a, a fear monger and all this stuff. No, Fauci has his role to play. It's Trump's job and Pence's job to make the decisions with him as their medical expert. He has a role to play. So I'm not going to hit the judge too hard. Not yet. Until after she made that statement, he sentenced her uh, to a week in jail and fined her at least $3,500. Now that, that is a mistake. That's a mistake. He could have said, you know, you can't violate the rule of law. I'm going to say, you know, don't do that again. Don't, you know, he could have wagged his finger at it. That would have been the American thing to do. But he didn't. He really went after her and he dropped the book on her. He sent her away for a week for opening her salon, for doing business so her workers could eat, so she could eat, so she could feed her kids. Now, look. <laughs> this is this is the thing that comes out, you know, personality comes out in a crisis. And this is the thing that has been allowed to come out by Donald Trump's federalism. It has been allowed to come out by Donald Trump's federalism, which is why you haven't heard me, you know, singing the, the Constitution song and saying, oh, you know, our rights are being violated because they're being violated in certain places. We get to see who is doing what. And this is a guy, this is a judge who really went over the top and he did the wrong thing. He did the wrong thing, but that's the voice of everyday courage. And that's the voice we're going to need. And that's the voice of the warriors that Donald Trump is talking about. Now, warriors versus wimps. Let's hear the voice of the wimps. I want to just play for you this more, a little more of this interview with David uh, Muir and listen to the law. I just want you to hear the logic, right? The logic that the guy is selling. This is going to be cut to this is the logic he's selling and the way he's trying to make Trump look like a heartless, uh, you know, evildoer uh, if he reopens the country. How many deaths and how much suffering are you willing to accept to get back where you want to be? Do you see it that way? Do you believe that's the reality we're facing, that that lives will be lost to reopen the country? It's possible there will be some because you won't be locked into an apartment or a, or a house or whatever it is. But at the same time, we're going to practice social distancing. We're going to be washing hands. We're going to be doing a lot of the things that we've learned to do over the last period of time. And we have to get our country back. You know, people are dying the other way, too. When you look at what's happened with drugs, it goes up. When you look at suicides, I mean, take a look at what's going on. People are losing their jobs. We have to bring it back, and that's what we're doing. The president you heard there acknowledging the potential cost in lives as he tries to reopen the country, that was significant from the president tonight. Yeah, David, this is a pretty striking admission. Just think about it. He says that they're still going to move ahead with reopening the country, but that there will indeed be lives lost. See, they're not just being children. They're playing you for children. Of course, there are going to be lives lost. And of course, there's going to be spikes. All of this is the truth. That's, this is the truth. Now, you know, what happens when you tell children the truth? They don't like it. They cry and they whine because they think, you know, maybe uh, you're a god and you have some way of changing everything. Trump has no way of changing the fact that this is a disease. They keep talking to him as if like, you know, they, they say to him, they keep comparing the death toll to Vietnam. You know, we didn't have to be in Vietnam. That was a choice we made. And you can say, what are you getting for that death toll? You can say you made a choice. What are you getting for it? This, you know, we didn't have a choice that people were going to die here. This is a disease that came from China. It was released on us. They lied to us. They told us all these lies. We had to react to it. We reacted to it. 
we have to reopen the country. I mean, it's ridiculous. This is, you know, no one has ever done this before. There's been terrible, terrible flus and pandemics and diseases. No one's ever just shut down uh, the country like this. I, again, I'm not I'm not making a judgment because personally, personally, I don't think we can make a judgment yet on whether it was the right or wrong thing to do. I don't actually think we have enough facts for that. I know that some guy on Twitter has enough facts, but I don't think real human beings with actual knowledge who are looking at all the facts. I don't think we've gathered enough information yet. I don't even think we know how many people have the disease or what it would have been like had we not done it yet. So I don't think we can judge whether it was the right thing to do or not, but I can we can judge whether we would have done it because Everybody did it. And you can point to Sweden. But again, Sweden really, in some ways, did the same thing. They just did it in a different way because they have a different kind of more homogenous country. As I say, everyone there is named Sven. But this idea that because Trump has to pay a price to do what has to be done, that somehow it's his fault. It's like that somehow we all should like, you know, bemoan it. it it's they're selling you cowardice. They're selling you cowardice. That's what cowardice cowardice is. Cowardice is not facing the thing that has to be done because of, of the price. That's what cowardice is, right? There's what, you have to do something. You have to get it done. But there could be a price. It could be a terrible risk. But you don't want to take the risk. So you don't do it. You don't do what has to be done because you're afraid. That's what cowardice is. And that's what Trump is telling us we can't do. When he says we're warriors, they say, no, no, we've got to be wimps. And let me just remind you again. I just want I know I know I keep going back to this Biden thing, but there's Biden thing with the sex scandal. It's not about I keep saying this. It's not about Biden. It's not about a sex scandal. It's about the press. It's about the coverage. We now know that everything they said to us, all their hysteria was a lie. And so we know that this hysteria is also a lie. We know that. We know that when they get hysterical, when they pound their chest, when they tell you what they feel, when they tell you how important something is, we know now that they lie. You know, remember I was telling you about this Times editorial where they were calling for Biden to be investigated by the DNC. Well, we called for Kavanaugh to be investigated by the FBI. So we're calling for Biden to be investigated by the Democrats. And my favorite line in that thing was... Uh, was this shouldn't be adjudicated by the press. <laughs> we shouldn't look into it. It should be, just be some Democrats should let into it and let them off the hook. They got a letter at the Times saying, this is what it said. I totally disagree with this editorial. I don't want an investigation. I want a coronation of Joe Biden. Would he make a great president? Unlikely. Would he make a good president? Good enough. Would he make a better president than the present occupant? Absolutely. I don't want justice, whatever that may be. I want to win removal of Donald Trump from office and Mr. Biden is our best chance. Suppose an investigation reveals damaging information. Should we really risk the possibility? And it's signed by Martin Tolchin, who is now, he's an older man, he's like 90 or something like this, but he was a member of the Times Washington Bureau and a founder of Political Politico. And I think he had a hand, he was part of the founder of Politico and had a hand in founding the Hill, I believe. Uh, and so this is who they are. This is who they are. They want a coronation. They want to win. And it's true with their coverage of this virus as well. And so this is when the moment, this is the moment when we find out who everybody is, including ourselves. Now, obviously, I'm exempt because I have to save the Claven because otherwise you all cease to exist since you only exist in my imagination. But, but the people who can go back have to go back. And again, there's going to be caution. We've got to have care. We've got to have knowledge. But we have to do it. We have to do it. And so what's the point? What is the point of the, of selling us this terror? And I'm going to show you again. I'm going to show you how they do this because it really is a study in what the press has become. But first, 
let us talk about Ashford University. While you're home drinking wine, you also want to be improving yourself, and Ashford University is the perfect way to do it. This is a perfect time, a perfect time for you to get a bachelor's degree or a master's degree that will be helpful to you when everything opens up again. A degree uh, from Ashford University Uh, They have expert faculty. They teach you real-world skills from real-world experience and in the comfort of your own home in online classes built for life's twists and turns, and we've had enough of those. You can pursue a degree to help you have a brighter future in one of Ashford's 60-plus programs, business administration, healthcare administration, psychology, and more. With 24-7 access to your classroom, daily support, and financial aid available, Ashford gives you the tools you need to keep climbing. Education is personal at Ashford University. Your success is their success. There's no fee to apply or standardized testing required to enroll. Do it today. Go to ashford.edu slash Andrew. That's ashford.edu slash Andrew. Ashford.edu slash Andrew. Not all programs are available in all states. Now, again, you know, one of the things that I have learned from doing this kind of commentary is people have, a lot of people, I should say, have two slots in their heads, right? They have a yes slot, and if it doesn't go in the yes slot, it goes in the no slot. So if you say something a little nuanced that's not in their yes slot, and a lot of times their yes slot is very narrow, right? It goes right in the no slot, you know? So when I tell you that you or I and the guy screaming on Twitter would have shut down the economy, I'm not telling you that that's right. Again, I don't think we have the information. I don't think we have the information. So it goes right into, you know, a lot of people, especially conservatives, man, they, you know, you say that, they go, no, go, no, 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 but the thing is, I'm not telling you whether it's right or wrong. I'm telling you with the information they had acting in the dark with the lives at stake, with the hospitals under threat, they did the thing they thought they had to do. And since everybody throughout the West did it, we can assume that we would have done it too. And it was what the thing, what it looked like from that time. And now again, we're going to open up. So Here's the thing. Let's let's look at the people telling the truth and looking the, look at the people who are affected by the press narrative and how they are. You know, Greg Abbott has been I think he's been terrific. And, you know, I, I was sorry that that lady was in Dallas. I'm not sure why uh, that was happening there. I'm going to assume it happened that had to do with the county, uh, which is where these charges usually originate from. But Abbott has been good about opening opening and he's been good about being honest about it. Here's uh, cut nine. I mean, to me, that's what I want. I want to be treated like an adult. I do not want to be treated like a child. I don't want to be lied to. Again, when they when they look at Sweden and, and say, oh, the death toll has gone up, you have to remember that what Sweden's uh, trade-off was that we're not going to hurt the economy and ultimately the death toll will be the same. Now, we don't know if that's going to work out yet because we haven't reached ultimately yet. But the point is that flattening the curve never meant fewer deaths. Flattening the curve never meant fewer deaths. It meant slower deaths and hopefully not my death. So 
<laughs> so it always meant slower deaths to, to keep the hospitals from being overwhelmed. And now that truth is coming out. Nobody wanted to talk about it. Now it's coming out. And guys like Abbott are telling you the truth. Yes, that's what's going to happen now. Now there will be a spike. And all the press is doing is this incredible drumbeat of fear. Oh, look at the terror. Look at the death. Look at the, you know, how can you say this? What's what's wrong? It, you know, uh, what's his name? Jim, look at me. I'm Jim Acosta. Shouted out. Uh, at a press conference. Are you saying because uh, Trump started talking about disbanding the task force? It's not clear yet whether he's going to do that. And and uh, Jim, look at me. I'm Jim Acosta. Shouted out. Are you saying mission accomplished? Because he thought, oh, what a great gotcha. I just thought like at that point, like a couple of people should have picked him out of the, up under the arms and just hurled him out the door. Because uh, what a waste of space. What a waste of time. What a waste of your and my time when we're sit- sitting here thinking, oh, we're going to have to be the warriors. We're going to have to open this country up. We're the ones who are on the front lines. You know, what do we need Jim Acosta trying to catch Donald Trump out for? But let me just play you Andrew Cuomo, because I think Andrew Cuomo has not done that great a job. And, you know, if you took the eastern seaboard off this country, if you took that little cluster of states, uh, what they used to call the tri-state area right around uh, New York, you took that out of there, our death toll would be really, really low. I mean, it would be uh, as, as low as basically anybody. But I'm not sure that Cuomo has done as good a job. You know, Cuomo uh, said that that the um, uh, senior homes should allow infected people in. And now they have found another like 1,700 deaths in senior homes that they hadn't recorded. So he really has not been on top of this. And I know, what, what does John Nolte call it? He calls it Cuomo sexuality. They're in love with Cuomo. They want him to be the president. They want him to replace Biden and all this stuff. But I want you to listen to what he says about reopening, about closing the economy. This is cut 11. Let's be smart about what we do. And I get the emotion and I get the impatience and I get the anxiety. We all feel it. Uh, When I say the situation is unsustainable, it's unsustainable on many levels. It's unsustainable economically. It's unsustainable personally. Uh, A lot of anxiety is uh, now all through our community. We see it in increased alcoholism, increased substance abuse, increased domestic violence. So this is a, a... very, very difficult period and people want to move on. Yes. So, all right. So there he's talking absolute common sense, right? That's, he's telling you the truth. It's their prices for everything. This is the thing. I mean, I, I tell this to conservatives too sometimes, you know, there, there's a price for everything. There's a price for everything. Nothing is free. You know, freedom isn't free. Not freedom isn't free. Everything has a price. You're always balancing one price against the other. Now listen to Cuomo. The Cuomo who is basically being haunted by the press. And you can tell, I can look in his eyes, I can see that he is being haunted by the press, that he cannot say, tell people the truth, which is we're going to reopen, there's going to be more deaths, that's the way it is. This is cut uh, 10. There's a cost of staying closed. There's also a cost of reopening quickly. That is the hard truth that we are all dealing with. And let's be honest about it. And let's be open about it. And let's not uh, camouflage the actual terms of the discussion that we're having. And the question comes back to how much is a human life worth? To me, I say cost of a human life. A human life is priceless. Period. You're a lion dog faced pony soldier. (laughs) A human life is priceless. And I'm, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you like, oh, you, you know, we figure out the price of human life all the time because we do. Uh, obviously, insurance companies do it and all kinds of uh, um, trade-offs have to be made. 
But the thing about it is a human life is priceless and it's of infinite worth. That still doesn't mean that each, you know, that's true when we send people out to defend our country, too. It's true when we send police out on the streets. It's true when you get in a car to go to work and risk the fact that you're going to, that you could be, you know, uh, um, broadsided by a truck. You know, it's true with everything we do. We all are taking risks with our lives all the time. Some of us taking more risks than others. So that, that the comment that he's making, the comment that he's making is meant to demonstrate to the press that he is taking their fear into account. But in fact... He can't. He's going to have to open because this is the other thing. The governors, I mean, we see this in California where, by the way, they are actually moving forward with reopening. But one of the reasons there and, and, you know, credit to Gavin Newsom for this. He actually is reopening. And I think he's doing the right thing. And I you know, it, it hasn't been as bad out here, of course, as it's been in the east. But there will be a price for it. Uh, and he's doing that. And I and I respect him for that. But it's also part in part because people are reopening without him. And that's what's going to happen in New York, too. Eventually, it is already happening in New York. Eventually, people are going to say it's not so bad here. We got to get back to work. Just like that lady in Dallas, uh, the hero from the salon said, you know, I got to feed my kids. My workers got to feed our kids. That's what they've got to do. And of course, this endless talk about, well, we need more government relief. Where do they think the money for government relief comes from? You know, they're spending our great grandchildren's money at this point. Somebody's going to have to work to earn that money. We better get started in doing it. We have to do it. This idea, this AOC idea, and she has acted throughout this, like, you know, talk about revealing personality. She has reacted like a 12 year old. It has been listening to her has been like listening to your daughter when she's 10 or 11. Not my daughter, because she was very bright. How but it's dare like you? Listening to a <laughs> it's like listening to a little girl who doesn't understand that the knee bone is connected to the leg bone and everything has to work in, in tandem. And the fact is, all this money they're spending comes from the economy when the economy shut down zero money. You can't just print it. It doesn't work that way. So here, let me play one more cut from this Muir Trump thing. Uh, this is cut number three. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you one more question about the nearly 70,000 Americans whose lives have been lost. Grandparents, mothers, fathers, sons, daughters. Right. We've lost more people now than we lost in the Vietnam War. What do you want to say to those families tonight? I want to say I love you. I want to say that we're doing everything we can. Uh, I also want to say that uh, we're trying to protect people over 60 years old. We're trying so hard. And I want to just say to the people that have lost family and have lost love and the people that have just suffered so badly and just made it and just made it, that we love you, we're with you, we're working with you, we're supplying vast amounts of money like never before. We want that money to get to the people and we want them to get better. Nothing else you can say. That's all you can say. And it's not like the Vietnam War. Trump didn't choose for this disease to happen, but he's handling it extremely well. And we should we, we on the right should make sure to praise him for it. All right. Let us talk about LifeLock. The one thing you do not need right now. I'll tell you something. You do not want insult added to injury. You don't want somebody to steal your identity, you know, because once that happens, it is so hard to fix unless unless it's a lot easier with life LifeLock. If, you know, there's some people who think they've got everything covered. They, they've got a Band-Aid if you need a Band-Aid. They've got a battery if you need a battery. But they may not be as prepared as they think if they haven't protected their identity. Breaches seem like they're happening more these days. And with your breached information, like your name, social security, and more, more criminals can commit identity theft. And that's why LifeLock sees more threats, like someone taking out a payday loan in your name. It alerts you to possible suspicious activity. And if you end up having an identity theft, theft issue, and this is the big one for me, 
you will have a dedicated identity restoration specialist just a phone call away. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But with breaches on the rise, doesn't it make sense to be prepared? Join LifeLock today and save up to 25% off your first year. Go to LifeLock.com slash Clavin. That's LifeLock.com slash Clavin to save 25%. You do not want people stealing the secret of how to spell Clavin because that's only you know that, obviously. <laughs> Where is it? Where, where's the music? <laughs> I mean, I can't do it all the time. You know, I'm too busy making it look like it's easy. Uh, all right. All Access. This is the newest, most exclusive membership tier, the All Access Insider. And All Access Insider membership tier is our premier level of membership. All Access members get the benefits of our other membership tiers, including an ad-free website, uh, access to all our live broadcasts and show library, access to the show's mailbags, the full three hours of the Ben Shapiro show, and some dedicated editorials by Ben. All Access members also get other amazing benefits, including the solid gold diamond encrusted leftist tears tumbler. They also get to join live excuse, exclusive online Q&As, the all access tonight that I will be doing at five o'clock Pacific time, eight o'clock Eastern. You will get to ask me questions and we will talk then. And I will look forward to seeing you uh, head over to dailywire.com. Subscribe to join Daily Wire's all access club with a new membership or an upgrade and get 10% off with coupon code Claven. That's dailywire.com slash subscribe coupon code K-L-A-V-A-N, no E's. And I'll see you uh, at 5 o'clock Pacific. All right, the mailbag is coming right up. Yeah! All right, mailbag. Y'all ready for this? It's better be a great mailbag. All right, from Tommy, uh, T-O-M-I. Dear Andrew, your speech at UT Knoxville was literally the last event before the earth shut down. I remember it. I'm glad my friend David and I were able to talk with you a bit before the moon turned to blood. Have you seen The Chosen? It is a high-quality, non-cheeseball presentation of the gospel. Uh, This is on an app. There's an app on The Chosen. You can see it's like watching TV uh, on your uh, device. Um. It is the largest crowdfunding ever, which indicates that people are willing to support this kind of work with their own money. Uh, would you ever consider funding a production of Another Kingdom this way? Would it be better to fund a production company instead of funding one independent project at a time? What are your thoughts on how we get conservative and or Christian productions of this quality out to the world? Save the Clavin. This is, Tommy, this is such a good question because this is the thing I have been racking my brains up about talking to people. And I'm, I got to be honest with you, I'm lousy at raising money. I've, n- I've never raised a penny in my life. I mean, I've, I've just sold my work for money. That's what I've done. I have worked for pay all my life. And I've never gone, I have, fr- I have friends in the in this business who go and say, I'm going to do some commentary, give me $250,000. And they do, you know, and I once said to my wife, uh, how come I don't have a billionaire? And my wife said to me, have you ever listened to the way you talk to billionaires? And she's right. I'm not, <laughs> I don't count out to people and I tell them what I think. And that, it makes it very hard to raise money. Uh, I have seen The Chosen. I saw the first episode. You're right. It's non-cheesy. It's well-written. It's well-acted. And the production values are good. I thought it was excellent. And it was doing something that I myself had been <clears throat> thinking about doing, of building an app where you could do some screen stuff. Uh, I, I was not as 
far along as they are. And of course, the Christian audience is much more responsive than the conservative audience, which tends to not show up for these things, which is un- unfortunate. Uh, another kingdom would probably be too expensive to crowdfund. Um, but I, I have plenty of ideas for things that could be crowdfunded. If you want to send me money, uh, you know, if we want to, if somebody wants to give me the money to do it, I would definitely do it. I think this is a good way forward. Uh, it is, it, it's, it's very difficult. It is very difficult to figure out how to reach conservatives. They are not supporters of the arts per se. They don't turn out, uh, for things that are, that they should turn out for, uh, just to support them. Um, and, and, you know, obviously I only think things should be supported if they're good and the chosen is good. So that's why it's making money. And, you know, that's obvious, but I think conservatives don't show up for things that they say they want. Uh, you know, with another kingdom, a perfect example, all the, the conservatives signing on and saying it was pornographic because it had a sex scene and because it had uh, some language in it and all this stuff. And you think like, you know what? Art doesn't look like your, your life. You can live your life without cursing. You can live your life uh, without having sex out of marriage. But people do, and I have to be able to tell stories. And you can't expect me to shut down when I know, I know for a fact you're watching Game of Thrones uh, when you're not shouting at other conservatives. So it's very tough. It is very tough to do, but I think about it all the time. I would love to start something like The Chosen. I do not, I'm, I, again, I'm not a business guy, and I'm not a guy who goes around raising money. I mean, I would have to be, I would have to do it in tandem with somebody who knew how to do that. Uh, because what I do is I make stuff. I am a creator. That's what I do. And uh, I, I think uh, th- this is something I'd like to look into more. And it's something I'd like to do. Again, another kingdom, very, very expensive project. And I'm not sure that would be the right one to do. Uh, but it's a great question. And I think the chosen is the way we have to go. We have to do this stuff. Uh, you know, I did I did another kingdom as my contribution to doing it. And that's one of the reasons I did it as a podcast. Um, but I would need a partner uh, a, a business partner to, to do this kind of thing at the level of uh, that it takes to make film work. Um, from uh, Catherine, hi, my Christian friends say grace not works all the time, but they also say you have to do something, which is accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior to be saved. That seems like a contradiction to me. If grace alone is all that is required, wouldn't grace be enough to save everybody? How is declaring Jesus Christ your Savior not a work. I see. Well, that's not what it means. I mean, that's just, you know, uh, that's they're using biblical language. What they mean is that you can't, what grace not works means is that you can't earn your salvation. Your salvation is given to you by grace and you access that grace by believing in it, by having faith in the one who gave you the grace through his sacrifice. That's what it means. So it means that in other words, giving to charity, you can give to charity all you want uh, and you should, and that's a good thing to do, but God is not, you know, keeping points and saying, yeah, you gave to charity, so you get to go to heaven and no, you didn't. Um, So you don't. The trick to this, however, because there are people there, even in the Bible, uh, James, the brother of Christ says that, you know, we do have faith. He says, uh, faith without works is dead. Um, the, The trick to it is that believing in Jesus Christ looks like something. All right. Believing in gravity looks like something. I don't walk off a building because I believe in gravity. Uh, I don't like, you know, hate my neighbor because I believe in Jesus Christ. And I mean, I think that that's the thing that uh, faith in Jesus Christ is not just saying I believe and it's not just saying in Jesus name I pray. It's actually uh, committing to a way of life and a way of looking at life uh, that is different than you had before. And so um, it's not, I mean, what you're, t- what you're hitting on is a, um, is just a linguistic thing. When they say faith not works, they mean specific, a very specific thing that comes from the Bible. Uh, but I do believe that, uh, both things are true, that it is grace not works, but faith without works is dead because believing in Christ looks like something. Um, 
from Landon, dear master of the universe, possessor of no hair. I just finished a second listen to your audiobook, The Great Good Thing. Loved getting to hear your life story. I'm planning to propose to my girlfriend of over three years this weekend, and I was wondering if you could share your proposal experience and share some advice about married life. Well, first of all, you have to understand that my wife and I did everything wrong except marry one another. Right? We we lived together for years beforehand. We were you know crazy kids. Uh, we were literally crazy kids. And ultimately, we sort of just said at some point, oh, let's get married uh, and, and, you know, kind of pondered on it and all this stuff. So so we did everything wrong except marry one another. That's the one thing we did right, because it has been a very special marriage, as we have seen from the fact that we have been locked in uh, the house together. And my wife hasn't killed me, which is just shows you what is special about our marriage. It's the fact that my wife hasn't killed me. Um, however, uh, you're asking the right person about advice about married life, because I have had an extraordinary marriage. Uh, and I always tell people the key is you have to marry my wife and you're not allowed to do that. So you're screwed. But but more seriously, um, a couple of things. I mean, I, I always tell people to be polite, you know, in your marriage. And I, I've said that for a long time. And I maintain that that is, in fact, the truth, that a lot of people treat their spouses as they wouldn't treat somebody a stranger. They come home, they're tired. Uh, they, you know, somebody's getting on their nerves, say something, you know, and they take it out on their spouse. And you, when you, words come out of your mouth and you're talking to your spouse, they should be words of respect and kindness all the time. It doesn't mean you don't deal with issues. It don't, doesn't mean you don't have discussions. But if you wouldn't say, if a, if a waitress brought you the wrong thing and you wouldn't say to her, hey, what's wrong with you, you idiot? Take this back. If you would say, you know what, you got my order wrong. Would you please take it back? That's the way you should at least be addressing your spouse, at least should be addressing your spouse. And that underlines something else, which is gratitude. Um, you know, the things that happen in a marriage are become invisible over time. Uh, if your wife is a homemaker, the home she makes for you might become invisible. If your husband is a wage earner, the fact that the lights go on in your house uh, might become invisible. You know, you might forget that, gee, this is something you have to be grateful for and you should be grateful for it every day. And you should say that you're grateful and you should talk about that. A marriage is a third thing. There are two people and then there's the marriage and you both should be putting stuff into that marriage, respect and love and politeness and gratitude and all those things. And the marriage then will become a fortress. And you will, you know, you will find this idea, you know, when the Bible says that you become one flesh, I used to think that meant that you had sex, you know, but no, that's actually not what it means. It means that you become um, a third thing. It, it means that your marriage becomes something uh, other than yourself and you have to pay attention to it. You have to take care of it, not just the things in your marriage. And the beauty of it, by the way, um, especially in uh, in heterosexual marriage, the beauty of it is that women and men see things really differently. And over the over time, and it takes a, a long time, but over time, as you love somebody who sees the world so differently than you do, and you treat with respect somebody who sees the world so differently than you do and reacts to it differently and reacts to it at another level, um, you know, if, if you're a guy, you'll find your wife probably reacts emotionally to things that you don't react emotionally to, uh, to and vice versa. You begin to realize that you're both like one half of the 3D glasses, uh, that one of you is the red side and one of you is the blue side. And when you put it together, you suddenly see, oh, you know, actually the world has another dimension that you can see when you become one flesh. So that's what I have to say, you know, gra gratitude, politeness, remembering that the marriage is a third thing that needs to be cared for over and above uh, one another. 
Uh, all right, from uh, Juan, uh, he says, hello, Andrew, I'm a Catholic. I was hearing a discussion between Sam Harris and Cenk Uyghur, 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 I never know how to pronounce it, uh, but he's the young Turk. The other day, I heard them talk about Moses and say that he never existed. Now I'm having second thoughts about my beliefs. I want to hear your thoughts about this. Thank you, big fan. Uh, don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, don't even think about it. First, first of all, um, this is I haven't studied, the, I've heard this thing about Moses didn't exist before, and I haven't studied this particular thing, but I have studied a lot of Bible history and Bible literary criticism, and mostly I have found it very, very faulty and very flawed. You would think, one of the things we've learned in this virus uh, situation is that the experts aren't any brighter than you. They know things that you don't know, but their logic is not that good. And the way that people do Bible study and the way they decide what is true and what isn't true is not that logical. I mean, I started reading a four-volume uh, historic look at Jesus, and after a volume and a half, I just threw it away because I thought, you know, this logic doesn't make any sense. You can't tell anything from the way they're thinking. So I do not trust this. I do believe that Moses existed. I don't believe that they just made up a character and wrote a fiction that's that doesn't seem to me to be uh, what I'm reading when I read it, I'm, I'm, if I have any expertise at all, it is in reading texts. Uh, I know I can tell it one kind of text from another. It does not seem to me a made-up story. I think that's ridiculous. So if you're going to lose your faith, <laughs> which I don't think you should because there is a God, don't lose it over stuff like that. This is stuff that these guys, I mean, Sam Harris is a very bright guy and a good guy, but he knows nothing about this. Chenk, the same thing. They know nothing about biblical scholarship uh, and they're not experts in it. And even the people who are experts say things that I just think are way, way beyond their ability to conclude, given the information that we have. Um, all right, let me do one more. Um, from Zach, uh, dear Lord of the Multiverse, uh, I am, I'd like to say that I hate listening to you when you answer questions, because so often you point out me being wrapped up in my own BS without even addressing me specifically. Sorry about that. Uh, I'm in a group that does flash writing contests, and many of them are ardent leftists. Uh, they're mostly good writers and often get things right as far as human nature and real life goes in their stories, but then they'll turn around and contradict themselves by saying things like life has no meaning, work has no value, et cetera, et cetera. I can't figure out how people so creative find it so impossible to imagine actually being on the other side of things, poverty, political views, uh, uh, religion. My question is, how is it that people who spend their time imagining other often fantastical ways to live uh, fervently believe that there is only way, one way to live. You know, this is one of the things, one of my slogans that I, that I live by and I tell other people to live by is don't believe what you don't believe, okay? Don't believe what you don't believe. I see this all the time. I see people who say, who, you know, people who think it's fashionable to be cynical and they say, ah, you know, I don't care about human beings and I don't, you know, what you say, life has no meaning. They don't live like that, you know? So many of our elites live in faithful marriages uh, that, and they didn't have kids out of wedlock, but they like to show how tolerant they are by saying, yes, well, if you have kids out of wedlock, what's up? You know, you should have sex with as many. And if you want an open marriage, go ahead. They don't do that. They don't do it because they know it'll make them unhappy, but they think they're demonstrating their tolerance. You know, there have been people like Freud who said that everything is sex. There have been people who've said that everything is death. There have been people like Marx who say everything is money. Everything not everything doesn't, ex nothing explains everything. Nothing explains everything. 
However, one thing that people that is a huge motivating factor in life is avoiding shame. And the people avoid shame by pretending that they're decent and they pretend that they have virtue that they don't have. One of the advantages to being a Christian is you suddenly realize you have no virtue. You only have grace. You have no virtue. So you don't have to pretend anymore. I don't have to pretend to have virtue. I only have to pretend to live into my faith. That's all I have to do to try to live into my faith. So people are what people are doing when they say the stupid stuff that they say is that they're saying is that they are pretending to have virtue, some virtue that they think maybe it's maybe it's the virtue of cynicism, maybe it's the virtue of sophistication, maybe it's the virtue of super tolerance, whatever it is. They're pretending to have virtue when they write because you say they're very good writers. When they write, they tell the truth because you can't be a good writer without telling the truth. <clears throat> so that's the that's the dichotomy that you see. You see people you see people living like this all the time. They live conser- uh, Everybody is a conservative. Every wise person is a conservative is in, in his own life. It's only when he starts talking and wants to display his virtue and his sophistication and his elitism and his charity that he starts spouting socialist nonsense. And that's that that's what it is. It's about virtue. I got to stop there. I will stop there, but I will see you again tomorrow. And remember, tomorrow is Thursday, so it'll be the last day before the Clavenless weekend. You want to be there and suck up all the Clavenny goodness you can. I am Andrew Claven, and I'll be back tomorrow with the Andrew Claven Show. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knowles Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. And our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. The scientist whose disproven doomsday model destroyed the global economy has resigned from his position after it came out that he broke his own lockdown order to sleep with his married mistress. Why should we be expected to listen to scientists when they don't even listen to themselves? Chris Cuomo goes on an unhinged rant, a salon owner in Texas tells a power-hungry judge to pound sand, and President Trump vows revenge on China. All that and more. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.